Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Matthew 13, 46, the parables of the hidden treasure, pearl of great price and mustard seed. Not a, uh, not a week goes by that I don't get to, in some way, uh, have a conversation about a, a band called uh, 21 Pilots. If you haven't heard of 21 Pilots, uh, they're a band that's from Columbus, has gotten bigger over the last couple of years, had a pretty big year, uh, and this last week uh, won a Grammy. And so I, I should explain, uh, my brother-in-law is in that band, and I don't consider this a name drop because we all know that that is shameless. I think most of the people in the room uh, probably knew that connection in some way. Uh, and so this week I was thinking of how I could illustrate the point we wanted to make. And I was like, I've just got to talk about it. I've just got to talk about it. So I have, uh, I have people regularly that I, I knew once upon a time, people that I went to high school with, people that I went to college with, uh, they'll, they'll Facebook message me and they don't really, you know, they're not keeping up with my life a ton. And they'll say something um, like this. They'll say, um, why do you have so many followers on social media? And they're like, I mean, I've known you. You're not that cool, right? Uh, and and it, actually, like my, my old college roommate said exactly that. He's like, I mean, you're a nice guy, but you're not like, you know, you're not, you're not great. And so uh, in Hollywood, there seems to be this thing, maybe you've heard of it, uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, where uh, everyone in some way has worked with Kevin Bacon or shares an agent with Kevin Bacon or worked with someone that worked with Kevin Bacon. Uh, my life right now in this phase of life is, is kind of like this weird Six Degrees of 21 Pilots or something. And so um, if you get on... Uh, some of my accounts, you'll wonder, like, why do all these people with pink hair from South America follow Mark? And that's, that's the reason, all right? It's not because uh, I've ever been to South America or have a following there or even would know how to speak to those people, uh, but, but they, they are fans of, of this band. And so their, their fandom starts with obviously liking the band, then liking personal accounts, then somehow they find their way to, to my uh, sister-in-law's account, who's married to Tyler. And then they're like, oh, who's her sister? And then they find my wife Kristen's account. And then eventually, uh, the real hardcore ones uh, dial it down enough that they're like, I'm going to follow this guy. And I don't know if it's going to pay off, but maybe someday he'll put up a picture from Easter and... Tyler's knee might be in that picture or something awesome. I'll be able to see the edge of his tattoo and it will make my life better because I will see that picture and no one else will see it. And so uh, there, there are fans, like I said, that are a little more hardcore and those are the ones that, that seem to uh, know my name and care for some reason. You know, they're not just the ones that bought the album. They're not just the ones that bought the t-shirt, but they're the ones um, who have taken the, the stakes of their obsession and just kind of raised that thing and made it a, a bigger deal. And so, um, like I said, I don't just bring that up to, to talk about that, but I think there's a principle in there uh, that I want us to, to highlight today as we get going and as we talk. Um, when you love something, you spend time on that, Right? If, you, if, if you're a cyclist, you're going cycling on the weekends. If, if you're into a band, you're spending time listening to that band and following their career. And when you spend time on something, you become obsessed with that. 
Now, when we hear the word obsessed, we we automatically think of like a stalker, right? And so some of us are like, I'm too mature to be obsessed with things. And yet you could probably tell me where LeBron James was born, right? Or those of you who are like, oh, always with the sports analogies, you could probably tell me what shiplap is because you follow Joanna Gaines like she started a religion, right? Okay, now it's getting a lot more personal in here, right? Yeah, so uh, we all have things that we love that we spend time and energy focusing on and we become obsessed with those things. And again, obsession is not necessarily just a bad word, but obsession and desire and love and passion all steer our actions and choose kind of how we spend our time and the things that we do. And, And if you call yourself a Christ follower, Right, you might not you might not want to use obsession. You might want to use the word passion or, or something like that. But I would hope that if someone watched your life and the things that you do, the things that you say, the places that you are for one week, that they would see a driving force behind your actions. All right. So so music followers are called fans, and and Christ followers are, are called Christians. And and yet a, a Christian is simply someone who's decided that Jesus gave his life for them, and so they're going to live their life for him. And so they, they let the, the love and devotion that they feel for him drive every decision that they make and every relationship that they have. And another way that Jesus referred to, to living for him or being a part of, of living for him was there were moments in scripture that he called that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, you might not feel comfortable saying, I'm a part of the kingdom of God, because it's not really a phrase that we use, but most of us would feel comfortable saying, I attend church, or I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian. That's a term that we're, we're more familiar with. And, and so when we say kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's kind of like, that's a whole nother level and seems a little weird and, and confusing. And I would, I would kind of agree. I think we, we don't understand that term. And so if you ask your average churchgoer, hey, are you a part of the kingdom of God? They would say something like, yeah, I, I think so, yeah, 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 yeah. If, if you would ask your average Christian, hey, you part of the kingdom of heaven? You going to the kingdom of heaven meeting this week? They'd be like, you know, I don't know, but I'm gonna get back to you about that and I will have a really good answer for you, right? And so it seems like this, this confusing thing and yet scripture tells us that, that we're a part of that. And so whether we think that we're a, a fair weather fan or whether we, we think that we're all in, people should be able to look at our lives and say, where is their life marching? Where are things headed toward here? What kingdom are they a part of? Scripture tells us that we're a part of the kingdom of God, that we should be investing in the kingdom of God, that we should be building the kingdom of God. And yet we don't really know what, is that, what does that look like? What, what's, the, what's the job description of someone in the kingdom of God? And so we're in a, a series right now called Storyteller Stories Jesus Told. We've been looking at simple parables, things that Jesus would say that, that really take a, a concept and make it something that when we, when we boil it down, we can really understand it. And so we want to look at that concept today. We want to look at the, the, the concept of living, functioning, and building the kingdom of God as a Christ follower. What does it look like for us to be a part of that kingdom? What does it look like for us to invest in that kingdom? And what does it look like for us to to be proud that we're in that kingdom and even understand our job description in that kingdom? And so we wanna look at another parable today. And so I wanna invite you, if you've got a Bible there, maybe there's one under your seat, behind your seat, in front of your seat somewhere. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 13. You already heard some of those verses uh, read out loud there. We're gonna be on page 745, Matthew chapter 13, 44 to 46. 
I want to let you know that uh, this, is, this is in the book of Matthew, one of the Gospels, which, which tells us about the, the life of Jesus. Uh, there are a few different major sections in this book that are called discourses, and basically that just means uh, that, that Jesus was talking about something for a few chapters, right? And so we've got the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there, were, there was a, a major section in Matthew where Jesus was saying, hey, I'm about to flip life as you know it on its head and kind of turn things upside down and change your standards for living. This is in a discourse or a section where there's a lot of parables. And so in this section of scripture, you might recognize some of the things that are to the page left or to the right of that. There's the parable of the sower, the wheat and the weeds, and, and we'll eventually get to the mustard seed. But this is, this is a section where just like the story, Jesus is telling stories, he's telling parables that have simple truths to redeem our lives. And so we wanna look at this one, parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl, page 745 Verse 44, Matthew 13. Let me read this and, and you can follow along. Maybe take some notes if, you, if you'd like. It says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Verse 45 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as we said, is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Now, when we're studying parables, we said that there are some things that we want to do right off the bat. We want to say, what is this parable saying? What does this mean for me? And what do these symbols and things we're seeing represent? And so you can look at this parable pretty plainly and, and right off the bat, you can, you can see as it says, the kingdom of heaven is, is like that Jesus is saying, here's what it's like to follow me. Here's what it's like to be a part of, of my kingdom. And he's explaining this, this concept. But here's what you need to know for the audience that would have been hearing this or reading this. They knew that a kingdom was coming and they were looking forward to this kingdom. But honestly, they, they kind of had things wrong when it, when it came to this kingdom. The, the, the Jewish people were expecting a literal kingdom. So like maybe the one that we see in the movie Robin Hood where there's like a castle and a, and a king. And I think that they thought Jesus was going to show up and, and just kind of build this empire and strike people down and start wars and lead an army and, and establish his territory and say, I'm Jesus, I own the world. Welcome to my kingdom. You should be afraid of me and also love me because that's how you look at a king. And, and yet this kingdom didn't look like what the Jews thought it would be. This kingdom was, was a fulfillment of, of these things they'd been looking for. God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you land. And God had told David that I'm going to make you a ruler. And so they were expecting this big, great earthly kingdom that would get them out from under the oppression of, of Rome and the Roman Empire. And it, it wasn't exactly what they thought was going to happen. Verses 44, 46 that we just read there, there's some symbols and we see that the, the treasure hidden in this field and the pearl of great value are representative of God's kingdom. Maybe that's how you describe a kingdom, maybe, maybe not. But treasures in this day were, were hidden in fields often. You would take things that were valuable to you, things that you owned, and you would put them somewhere in your field or in your friend's field, and you would try to keep them hid from other people. Probably similar to us giving things to our financial advisor or putting them in a lockbox or putting them in a bank or, or maybe you have a safe at your home. Back in this day, burying something in a field was, was kind of normal. And so the, the man and the merchant in this story are, are symbolic of people who are searching for God and looking to be a part of this kingdom and so what can we learn as we, as we look at this story? 
We see that these guys are, are looking for something and they're finding something and there's some excitement. You can, you can learn this. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, following God, the ability to follow God and be a part of his kingdom, that kingdom, the kingdom of God is a great treasure. You might be like, yeah, I knew that. I grew up in church, Mark, thanks. All right, well, we just wanted to establish a baseline, right? We want, we want to say that because that's what these stories are teaching us. The kingdom of God is a great treasure. I think it's worth noting that in this, in this story, it says this man discovered this treasure hidden in a field. Now, because I'm super pale and have red hair, when I imagine treasure being discovered in a field, I instantly go to my homeland of Ireland and I think of a leprechaun and I think of a rainbow and a pot of gold and a guy skipping and wearing green knickerbockers and just the whole, the whole thing, right? That's, that's naturally where I go with everything. And so when I think of treasure, I, I think of it like that. But I, I want to kind of take that and, and flip it a little. There's a reason that this guy had to buy this field, right? If you look out in a field and you're like, hey, there's a pot of gold there, would you buy the field or would you just walk over and grab the pot of gold and be on your way, right? I think that the treasure it's talking about would be more representative of, of like a mine. And there are, there are times in our country's history when people have said, this area has gold. I'm gonna go buy that land and I'm going to, I'm going to mine this treasure. I'm going to find this treasure. I'm gonna make it a part of, of, of what I do. And I think the kingdom of God, it can be said is, is like that. Because the kingdom of God, is, as we pursue those different avenues and those different underground areas and, and we mine things and we discover things and we look and we look and we look, the treasure becomes greater and greater and greater. And we can search and, and grow deeper and deeper and deeper. This isn't a one-time treasure grab. This is a life of investing in something and growing in something and excavating something and saying, Lord, I understand and I know that I am sitting on a treasure and I'm going to put in work to find that treasure, to discover that treasure, to reap the benefits of that treasure, to have that treasure be a part of my life. So the kingdom of God is not just a, a treasure chest or a pot of gold, but it's a gold mine and something that requires work, something that requires investment, something that will pay back dividends, something that will bless us as we unearth different pieces of it. So this guy realizes the potential of what's in front of him. He buys this land, or this, this guy goes in and finds the pearl. And we know that the kingdom of God and, and heaven is worth more than the other things. This guy might've owned some other land. He sold that other land. He might've owned another house. He sold that other house because he wanted the kingdom of God. And so we should desire the kingdom of God. We should understand that it's worth more than everything. And because of that, we need to be ready to give up everything. It doesn't say the guy saw that field and thought, hey, that field's pretty cool. I should own that field and a couple other fields and just kind of play the field. See what I did there, Don? Yep, that's a pun, all right? That's not what it says. It says that he was willing to and that we should be willing to give up everything to secure that field, to pursue the kingdom of God. And so I want you to know that we should prioritize the kingdom of God above everything else. We should prioritize the kingdom of God above everything else. We should prioritize living for God, living and participating and being a part of his kingdom above everything else. That doesn't mean that that everything else or those other things aren't kind of cool things. It doesn't mean that there might not be something in your humanness that's like, I kind of miss those things and kind of want those things. But if we understand the treasure that we have with the kingdom of God, we must prioritize it above everything else. 
We're going to be looking at a, a few stories this week uh, in our movement groups. If, if you haven't been a part of one of those groups yet, we have, we have groups that, that meet each week together. They share life. They study the Bible. They pray. They do some accountability. And, and they kind of take what we're talking about on Sundays and, and dial down on that more. And, and there's a, a story of a, a guy called the rich young ruler who was asking Jesus at one point. He said, what does it look like to follow you? And Jesus said, sell everything you have and, and come follow me. And sometimes people aren't willing to make Jesus their everything. They're not willing to give up their kingdom to pursue his kingdom and celebrate his kingdom. We must understand that the kingdom of God is more valuable than anything else and we must pursue that above everything else. So why should we care about the kingdom of God? Why should we care about living for God? Why should we care about sacrificing for God or, or continually in, investing in mining this treasure that is the kingdom of God? Why would we put in the work and time and effort? Because God put in that same work and time and effort to let us be a part of that kingdom. See, we were created in the image of God to know God and yet we have sin and things in our lives that separate us from God. God didn't want us to be separated from him. He wanted us to be in relationship with him. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth. Jesus did not sin. He was perfect. And so when he was, was put on a cross, when he was crucified, he wasn't going there because he had messed up that day or lost a bet or something. He was going there to pay the price for the junk in my life and my heart and the junk in your life and your heart. He was paying the price of our sins because sin separates us from God. And through the the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, by him giving his life and paying the price for our sins, he built a bridge to God the Father. And because of his sacrifice, because God sent him, we can know God the Father. And we can be in relationship with God the Father. And we can be a part of the kingdom of God. And we can live and interact and know God. That's why we should care about the kingdom of God. Not because your friend said it was great, but because as we live life, we know that something is missing. We know that something is not right. We know that we're not right. When we step back and look at the facts, we can say, Lord, I need you. I need you to come into my life and remove this junk. I need you to restore the relationship with God the Father. And he does that simply when we reach out and ask and say, Lord, my life is yours. I want to be a part of your kingdom. We should care about the kingdom of God because God cared about us and pursued us in the same way. What makes the kingdom of God so great? I mean, yeah, it sounds pretty cool to be like, all right, so I don't have sin and junk in my life anymore. And hey, I heard I get a get out of jail free card. I think I get to be with God for eternity. I get to go to heaven and and that's pretty cool. But what makes the kingdom of God a big deal? Let's get back to verses 31 and 32, this is the parable of the mustard seed. And it says this. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. And so the symbols in this story are kind of representing the same thing, but the mustard seed is the start of the kingdom of God when it's planted in us. And the the man that's planting that is representing God planting his kingdom and starting his kingdom in us. And the tree is the growth of the kingdom. And the birds that try to come and and mess that up are, are the world and the people of the world. And so God's kingdom, when we look at it, 
Just like the Jewish people looked at it, we may be tempted to think that it has insignificant beginnings or that it's small. One time I taught on this and I was like, oh, mustard seeds, I've got to get a great visual. And so I got on Amazon and I ordered some mustard seeds and it turns out that they're so, so small I'm just going to tell you that I'm holding some right now because there's no way that even the people in the first row would be able to see a mustard seed. You think of like a a cherry seed or a watermelon seed, like a mustard seed is like one one thousandth of that. Seriously, seriously, I'm holding it right now and it's really small. Just trust me, okay? Sometimes you can waste money on Amazon even when you have Prime and you get excited about stuff. That's, that's free of charge, but don't, don't always order anything just because it, you want to, all right? So a mustard seed is, is, I don't want to say insignificant, but you could look at it and you could think that's insignificant. Nothing's ever going to become of that. Nothing, nothing is ever going to come out of that mustard seed. In fact, it doesn't even look like if you planted it, is it, is it a speck? Is it an actual seed? What is it? And yet this, this passage illustrates beautifully that even though sometimes the kingdom of God can seem insignificant because to this Jewish audience, it wasn't an official kingdom. They knew kings and earthly kings that were much more powerful and they knew armies that were better and they knew castles that were bigger. And we look at earth kingdoms and we think, all right, so the kingdom of God is these humans that seemingly screw up all the time, don't love people, vote for the wrong person, lives are messed up, and, and yet this is, this, is, this is the kingdom of God? And we're tempted to reduce the kingdom of God. And yet this, this story holds true, that in the right climate, when nurtured by God, his kingdom goes from something we would be tempted to think is insignificant to something great, something that provides nourishment for people, this large tree, something that provides shade for people, something that people can find rest in, something that invests in them. When nurtured and when grown, when at full completion, as this tree is, in God's timing, the greatness of the kingdom of God will be seen clearly. In God's timing, the greatness of the kingdom of God will be seen clearly. And so there might be a moment that you would look at what God is doing in someone's life and you would think, that's nothing special. I know what they used to be like. Or you might look at the kingdom of God in yourself and think, is anything even really happening? Am I even changing? Is anything different? Does this matter? And when we're doing that, we're looking at it the wrong way. We're not seeing God's definition of a kingdom. We're seeing our definition of a kingdom. And we need to flip our paradigm and look at it in the right light and say, Lord, I see the potential of your kingdom and I'm going to have patience and follow your plan and trust your kingdom. Because he tells us there will be moments that you'll be tempted to think that this is insignificant and I promise you it is not insignificant. It will be something great and it will be something that blesses many people and it will be something where people take shade and people find comfort. The kingdom of God will be clearly known and seen by all in God's timing. In fact, scripture says there will be a moment in the kingdom of God when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I think the the bowing of a knee is something that we don't really get anymore because we don't live in a kingdom. But in a kingdom, that was a classic thing that that when the king was around, people would bow and they would bow their head. They would would take a knee and they they would show reverence and respect for that person. And so what does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God? It looks like showing reverence for God. You don't have to to take a knee, but the posture of that should be something that can be seen all throughout your life. 
Does your career take a knee out of reverence to what God is wanting to do in your career? Does your family take a knee out of reverence for what God wants to do and how he wants to use your family? Does your dating relationship, does your engagement, does your marriage take a knee and take that posture so that God can use it and build his kingdom and build his church as you live for him? Or are you standing up proudly and saying, I'm not, I'm not bowing down. Yeah, you gave your son. Yeah, there was a time I said I was about that, but, but I'm, not, I'm not a part of that. I'm not building this kingdom. I'm more worried about my own kingdom. You guys have seen movies about kings and you know that that's, that's called a traitor, right? Someone that, that doesn't have the best interest of the kingdom, someone that's not looking to build the kingdom, someone that won't bow their knee. So what does it look like for us to build the kingdom of God? What does it look like for us to invest in the kingdom of God? What does it look like for us to live and understand our job description in the kingdom of God? Well, we're told that someday in God's timing, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so we need to be doing those things now. We will further and more and more understand the greatness of God's kingdom and see that more and more, but we are already in that kingdom. We are functioning in that kingdom and we are called to build that kingdom And so your tongue should be confessing the greatness of God in the conversations you have, in the way that you're sharing what you have found in Jesus, in the way that you're breathing life into the world. And your knee should be bowing to your king and to his kingdom. And I don't know what that looks like in your life, but my guess is if if you stop and think about it for a little bit and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, there's probably an area of your life, it might be, your marriage, or it might be your job, or it might be your interactions with your kids, or it might be the way that you react to your boss. I don't know what that thing is. Some way that people cannot see that God is your king, that he is a part of your life, that he has changed your life, that he has marked your life, and that you are different, and that you are bowing your knee and letting him take control as you live your life. In God's timing, the greatness of the kingdom of God will be seen clearly And so we have to remember, and this is our big idea, if you remember one sentence for today, I hope that it's this. The kingdom of God is worth everything and becomes everything. And that's what we can plainly see when we look at the parable of the mustard seed and we look at how this guy was searching for this pearl and when we look at the treasure and what this man understood as he bought this field. The kingdom of God is worth everything and becomes everything. And sometimes we take our eyes off of that and we forget that following God and living for God and living in his kingdom and investing in his kingdom and building his kingdom is worth everything. And it should be your everything. And the way you live your life should should help it continue to become your everything. And the things that you have to, to leave behind and let go of There might be some separation anxiety, but ultimately you should be able to look at those things and and think those things don't matter. Those things were were my kingdom or were someone else's kingdom and I am only about the kingdom of God. There's a a phrase, it sounds like something Spider-Man would say, I don't know, I don't know if it's from a movie, but this phrase is, you will sacrifice greatly for what you love deeply. Maybe you've read that somewhere, right? You will sacrifice greatly for what you love deeply And so if we're going to be people who love God and love his kingdom, that has to result in a sacrifice, right? True love looks like sacrifice. True love looks like inconvenience. 
some of you are married and, and so you were like, should I shout amen or not? Will that get me in trouble? But, but true love looks like inconvenience and true love looks like sacrifice. And if you have kids, you know that. If you're one of the people with pink hair from South America that follows my social media, maybe you know that my wife is gone for the weekend and I've had all four kids and that's why I look like this today, right? That's just the, the state of my week. But mom deserved a momcation and so mom got a momcation and I like to think that I'm learning to do girls' hair slowly but surely and it's gonna get better, right? But, but when you love someone, that results in sacrifice. There's no other question. And so how many times did I shower this weekend? That's none of your business, all right? But it's not as many as I wanted to shower because I love my kids and I sacrificed for my kids and my wife. And hopefully that's plainly seen. The things that you love deeply, you will sacrifice for. And so some of us are looking, like, looking at our lives and thinking, but I, I, if someone looked at my life, they wouldn't see the kingdom of God. They wouldn't see someone that was following God. And so I want you to ask this question. How are you sacrificing for God? Because if we can say that, that true love results in sacrifice, we can also say that sacrifice leads to love. And in fact, I think we could say that great sacrifice leads to deeper and deeper love. And so if you want to build the kingdom of God, you want to grow the kingdom of God inside of you from a, from a, a tiny little seed to a great tree, what does it look like to grow the kingdom of God in your life and in your heart and in your functionality and your actions and in everything that you are? It looks like sacrifice. How does your schedule need to change to reflect the kingdom of God? For some of you, that means getting up 15 minutes early and talking to God. For some of you, that means turning off your iPad 15 minutes before you go to bed and talking to God. For some of you, that means a next step of saying, I know that I say I'm gonna share life and I'm gonna be in community. I'm going to join that group or I'm going to join that volunteer team. I'm going to use this gift that, that no one knows that I have to sing or play the guitar or for tech or working with kids. I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. If you love something deeply, you will sacrifice greatly. And if you're not seeing love in your life, if you're not seeing the kingdom of God growing and expanding, you're not seeing your own, your own grace and your, your heart expanding, you, you don't feel like you reflect the kingdom of God, you may need to ask, am I sacrificing? Am I inconveniencing myself in any way so that the kingdom of God can take hold and take shape and grow in my life and my heart? And so I wanna ask, what sacrifice do you need to make? The word sacrifice we hear sometimes and we think like, oh, wow, that's, he didn't just say, what can you do? He said sacrifice. Sacrifice means that, that something is dying. And when we choose to follow Christ and build his kingdom, we're dying to ourselves. We're saying, Lord, here's the, here's the steering wheel. You, you control my life. You run my life. And, and I'm on mission for you. I'm pursuing what you want now. So what needs to change in your life so that you can say that? What needs to change in your schedule, in your to-do list, in your career? What needs to change in the way that you parent? What needs to change in the way that you interact with your spouse? What needs to change so that you can encourage and foster and grow a deep love for the kingdom of God in your life? The kingdom of God is worth everything and must become our everything. Will you pray with me? God, we want to be followers of you and we want to be people who are bowing our knee and making you the Lord of our life. God, I pray if, if 
If there's someone here that has never made that commitment for the first time, I pray that if it's as simple as saying, Lord, here's my life, I wanna follow you, I pray that they will enter into your kingdom and make you Lord. God, if, if there's someone in this room that's, that's been a part of the kingdom of God but realizes that they're, uh, they're disinterested or they've, they've lost some passion or Lord, whatever the case may be, if something needs to change in our lives so that we can build your kingdom and invest in your kingdom and grow your kingdom and, and make sure that your kingdom is our everything and continues to become our everything, God, I pray that we will, we will foster an environment of sacrifice so that that small seed can grow and grow and grow and put down roots and take hold in us and, and bless others. Lord, help us to do whatever we have to do to build your kingdom. And so God, we, we give you our hearts. We pray that, that we'll make changes that need to happen in our lives. It's in your name I pray, amen.